guy. All right, let's open our Bibles to Colossians. We're talking about the new man, and tonight we're going to talk about the new man and unity. This is a real, um, this is a real foundational truth that I'm going to share with you tonight, and it's really critical, uh, I believe, for the body of Christ um, in the times that we're living in. I really believe that there is, a, there's really a, I don't know if transition is the right word, but you know, there's a scripture that says judgment begins in the house of God, and a lot of times we think of that judgment as is meaning, you know, uh, a bad thing, uh, that God's going to, you know, do something that's going to, I don't know, punish us. But I really believe the judgment that begins in the house of God is a judgment that is meant to measure us. Um, and when I say to measure us, the scripture in Ephesians talks about coming to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. Christ is the measure by which we are all measured against. And the judgment that begins in the house of God, I believe, is, is a work of the Spirit that really begins to awaken people. It's this revelation that, that comes by the Spirit of God that the prayers that, that the apostles prayed, that the eyes of our understanding be open, our hearts and our minds be open, that we would know, that we would see, that we would comprehend the knowledge of God, the love of God, the, the excellence of His power that works in us and for us. You know, we sang this song tonight, um, Beautiful Children, and it says, You are beautiful children. You are royalty. And you know, that, that actually is a, it's, it's a scriptural truth. But that truth uh, is a truth that oftentimes is abused. Because if we don't understand what that truth is, the reality of that truth, that we are beautiful children, that we are royalty, if we don't understand that truth from the knowledge of who we are in Christ that truth can actually produce uh, a pride or an arrogance on our part. Uh, it can produce an attitude of entitlement. But, but if we understand who we are in Christ, that we are beautiful children, that we are royalty, not because of something that we've done, not because we deserve it, but because of what Jesus has done. And, and by His grace, He has brought us into that reality of being his children, of being heirs with him, heirs of God, that same truth that could produce pride or arrogance or a sense of entitlement, not understanding it out of the proper context, understanding that from the reality of who we are in Christ, understanding that from truth or in truth, doesn't produce a entitlement or an arrogance, it actually produces, I believe, great humility. And it, it, because it causes us to realize what we have and who we are in Christ. And, and we realize and we understand that we don't have that and we are not who we are in Christ because of anything that we've done. That it's by His grace. And that grace produces 
a humility in us because we realize, man, I, I don't deserve what God has given to me. I don't deserve any of this, but he has. And so I don't live with an inferiority complex. I just live in the truth, in the reality of who I am. I am royalty in Christ. I am righteous in Christ. I'm holy in Christ. I am the righteousness of God, the scripture says, in Christ. And so understanding that, the revelation of that from truth, doesn't puff me up, it builds me up. And it gives me a firm foundation on which I live my life. And so this is all dealing with the reality of the new man that we've been talking about. And so tonight I want to deal specifically with the unity, the concept of unity. Now remember, I made the statement last week, the Lord has focused his attention upon us as human beings to recover the image of the one perfect man. We said there's only ever been one perfect man, and that man is Jesus Christ. And he, and, and he has focused his attention on human beings to recover that image, who, that image that was lost, that man lost in the fall. But God's not just doing this to recover something that was lost, but... To fill all, in all, with what? With that image who is Christ. And so we're, we're going to see over from tonight and, and into next week, we're going to see really this purpose of God. That God in sending Jesus didn't just send Jesus to save us so that we would have the assurance of going to heaven one day. God sent Jesus to recover something that was lost, that... That was his purpose from the very beginning. Before the beginning, it was his purpose. And that was to fill all, in all, with this image, with Christ. That the image of Christ, it's why God says, let us create man in our image. In Adam, man, humanity was created in the image of God. And what did he tell man? He said, go into all the world, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion, subdue, and fill the earth. Fill it with what? People? Yeah, but what was the point? The point of filling creation was to fill creation with the image of the one perfect man, with the image of God. And so we begin to understand that there is a much greater purpose, a much greater cause for us existing and us being here than just really what we live out of every day. It's very easy to become myopic. I mean, I just live focused on what's immediately around me because there's so many things that challenge us every day. I mean, and that's reality, guys. I mean, we do. We got to we got to pay the bills, we got to put gas in our car, we got to have food, we got to have shelter, we got to have clothing. Those are all real Things, But, you know, Jesus was not being flippant when he, on, at the Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and all these things would be added. And really what he's saying is seek the greater thing. Get a revelation of the greater purpose for why you are here and all of these things will be taken care of. And, and so this one new man... This image 
that fills all in all. This is God's purpose. God's purpose was, is, and is to be always Christ filling all in all. Let me, this scripture's not in your message, God, but I want you to turn to Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. It might be a real good scripture to write down there. If you keep your message guides and you, you use them and you spend some time really going more in depth with the reflection, the, the discussion questions or the points for further reflection on the back. I want to encourage you to do that so that you begin to catch a revelation of what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to, to the church. And this is what God is saying to the body because God is trying to cause His body to get a revelation of who they are in Christ and, and really what their purpose. Our purpose is much more than just, you know, being blessed here on earth and having nice things and saying, hey, I'm a, I'm a king's kid. or, or it's, it's so much greater than that. It's so that your life would communicate, would demonstrate, would, would fill creation with the image of Christ. That you would be an expression of Christ in his creation. Ephesians 1.22 says this, And he put all things under his feet, God put all things, the Father put all things under the feet of Christ and gave him, gave Christ to be head over all things. So he put all things under his feet and he gave him to be head over all things. That pretty much covers it right there. Everything's under him and, 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 and he's head over everything. And then look what it says. He gave him to be head over all things, comma, to the church. Which is his body. What is his body? The church is his body. Who is the church? Is the church this building? No. Is the church a a denomination? No. Is the church a movement, an institution? No. We are. You are. If you are in Christ, you are the church. And he has given him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, His body, the fullness of Him. Look at that. Now that's something that we can miss. But I'm telling you what. Those those four words right there are so very powerful. The fullness of Him. The church, His body, who is the fullness of Him. Oh my gosh. Church, we are the fullness of Him. That what? That does what? The fullness of him who fills all, who fills all. Do you think the Holy Spirit misspoke there? Do you think the Holy Spirit meant to say who fills all? Yes, he did. Well, what does that mean? Who fills all? It means he fills all. All of what? All. Who fills all in all. Well, how far does all go? What does all include? All. All of what, Pastor Jeff? You mean all of, all of uh, the church? No, all. All the earth? No, all. All what? All. All. That's a big word. All is a big word. It's a little word, but it's an awful big word. He gave, God gave Christ to be head over all things, the church, 
which is his body. We are his body. We are the fullness of him who fills all. From the very beginning, what God wanted to do was to fill all with Christ. We are not plan B. We are the only plan God has ever had. Because before creation, before there was any physical, material universe, God's plan and God's purpose was to fill all with Christ. And we are the vessels, we are the body who shall fill it. And we begin to understand why it is so very important to allow the expression of Christ, the image of that image of the one perfect man, of the new man, to be expressed through us. Because God's purpose all along was to fill all, in all, with that image. It was, it is, and it will always be Christ filling all, in all. So here we are at our, at our scripture in Colossians. Let's read it together. Colossians 3, we're going to begin in verse 9. It says, since you have put off the old man with his deeds... And have put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him. There's that image again. The image of who? The image of Christ. Who created him. Christ who created him. The new man. And in this new man where there is neither. Some translations say where there cannot be. And this is what it says. There, where there is neither, what, Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, where there is neither of those, none of those, there cannot be any of those, those are excluded, but here's what's included. Christ is what? He is all. In this new man which Christ has created, what is included in this new man? One thing. Christ is all. What's excluded? Everything else. No longer will we say there's a Jew, there's a Greek. No longer will we say he's circumcised, he's not. No longer will we say he's free, he's not free. No longer are there Scythians or barbarians. No longer is there black or white, brown, red, yellow, green, purple. It doesn't matter. There's not... Male nor female, there's not short nor tall, long hair, short hair, no hair. <laughs> it, none of that matters. It, none of that. That is excluded. There's only one thing included. It is Christ. Christ is all and in all. Any other delineation, any other division, any other segregating factor, anything that divides or separates or congregates or compartmentalizes, it has been abolished in Christ. There's only one thing included. That is Christ. Now, this isn't my word, church. This is the word of God. And he says, in this new man, there is neither there are none of these things, but there is one thing. But Christ is all and in all. I'm talking to you about the unity of the new man. 
So the significance, we're at Christmas time. This is the time of, where we celebrate the incarnation, the birth of the baby Jesus, the Christ child. The significance of the incarnation is the Son of God becoming man. There is a great significance in the Son of God becoming man. The very object of his coming out of eternity and into time, into history, the meaning, the purpose, the object, the explanation of of Jesus Christ himself coming from glory to the earth and, and putting on humanity is found in this one word, and it is the word man. Man. The significance of the incarnation is that the Son of God became man. Now, we can't go into all the reasons why, but obviously we would not have a redemption. We would not have a salvation. There would be no new creation. There would be no new man. There would be none of that but for Christ, the Son of God, coming and becoming man. It's so significant. Jesus' favorite descriptor of himself was this title, Son of Man. And it's not just a title. It wasn't just a proper name. Son of Man speaks of a purpose. It speaks of a meaning, an explanation, a definition. Man. The man, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, the man. Hang with me, church. The Son of Man is... He is a unity in himself. Now I'm going to explain. We're going to talk about what that that means. There's no schism. There's no division in the person of Jesus Christ. In this humanity, in this man that came, there is nothing that divides. There is nothing that separates. He is one, totally and completely He does not have a dual nature. There's no duality in him. He is one. He is a unity. He's not half man and half God. He is the God man. He is the man, Christ Jesus. He doesn't have a human nature and a divine nature. He has a nature unto himself. That's why he is called the new man. That's why Paul refers to him as the one new man. And we're going to look more at that next week. In his incarnation, when Jesus came, even when he was that baby in a manger, I'm telling you what, there was not any dual nature. There was no duality there. It was single, unified Oneness, one nature. There is a unity, a complete integration. Was he divine? Absolutely. Was he human? Absolutely. How do you make sense of that? Don't try to make sense of it. But just understand, it wasn't two natures put into one body. He is the new man. And that's why Paul says that the image of this new man, that's why we're called the new man. It's something God did supernaturally. It's a new creation. You ever wonder why the scripture uses that phrase, new creation? I mean, the spirit of God is very purposeful in the language it uses in scripture. 
It's not an improved creation. It's not a repaired creation. It's not a restored creation. It's a new creation. We are new creations. Where? In Christ. He is called the firstborn. He is called the beginning. He is called the only begotten. That's interesting. Not just because God had one son, but because there was, is, and will only ever be one perfect son, one perfect man. He is the new man, Christ Jesus. And guess what? Here's the grace of God. And here's the gospel. We have been brought into that new man. We've been brought into him. Not because we did great things, but because he did great things. Not by our own power, but by his power, by his Holy Spirit, he has brought us into this new man. Well, what's so special about him? There is a unity, a complete integration in the man, Christ Jesus. He is one, a unity. There's no fighting in his nature. There's no accusing conscience or division or schisms or or conflicts there. There is only perfect obedience. Out of what? Out of perfect and complete unity with the Father. Now, now, this is hard for us to comprehend. And this is why Jesus was the only one that could ever come and atone for our sin. It's because Jesus, it's why Jesus is the only one that could ever go before the Father and be accepted. It's, it's why Jesus said, no man, no one comes to the Father but by me. And it's not that Jesus is standing there saying, oh yeah, Dad, uh, he's okay to come in because he's with me. Uh-uh. There's only one son, there's only one man who can come before the Father and be accepted. That is the one new man, the one perfect man, the one man, Christ Jesus. And the gospel is this. That we were crucified with him, we were buried with him, we were raised with him and brought into who? That one new man. And when Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me, what he meant was, if you are not in me, when I come before the Father, you will not be acceptable because I am the one man who will ever be acceptable to my Father. This is why unity is so important, church. you got to hear what I'm saying tonight. This is so absolutely vital for the church to get a revelation of. This is why we fight the battles we fight. This is why we struggle the way we struggle. You ever wonder why, why, is, why is the enemy always working to divide and conquer, to pull apart marriages and families and congregations? It's because unity He understands why unity is so absolutely important because in the man Christ Jesus, there is perfect oneness, there is perfect unity. In the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is no division, there is no schism, there is none of this or that, there's no delineation, there is only oneness, unity, singleness of purpose, singleness of everything, there's only one. And so the enemy comes and And in dividing and in conquering, this is how he destroys. This is how he diminishes. This is how he wars against the image of the one man filling all in all. 
In Jesus, there was no conflict. There was no division. He was perfectly obedient. He never battled in his mind, should I do this or should I not do this? He was in perfect unity always. Even you think, well, what about in the garden, Pastor Jeff? Jesus never questioned whether he would obey the Father. His, it was never a question of whether he would obey the Father. There was never even an iota of question in Jesus' mind whether he would or would not go to the cross. He would do exactly what the Father wanted him to do. There was never a point in his life when he thought, man, I don't know if I want to do this. Mm -mm. Did he want to die on the cross? Did he want to have to suffer? I, I don't know that it was so much about that as it was what he would experience and what it would do to the relationship of him and the Father. But there was never a question in Jesus of his obedience to the Father. Remember what I said? Saul was represented... Saul represented the old man. David represented the new man. And what did, what did the writer in Acts say of David? God said, he quoted, he quoted the prophet. He quoted what God said. He said, I have found myself a man who will do all. There's that word again. Little word, but it sure is big. It leaves nothing out. Who will do all of my will. That's what God said of David. And David represented the new man. Who is the new man? He is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and he did. He was the new man that David was a type and a shadow of. And he did how much of the Father's will? All of the Father's will. Not just outwardly, but inwardly in every way. That was the only way he would ever be acceptable to the Father. It was the only way that we could ever come and... and before the Father, it was only through Jesus Christ. He is the man, the only man who ever lived a perfectly obedient life because there was no division. There were no schisms. There was no conflict within him. Now, in man, in man there are divisions. In man there is conflict. In man there are things that we segregate, we compartmentalize, we say this is, that isn't. There's constant division and conflict in man. In Christ, there are no divisions. In Christ, there are no conflicts. In Christ, the contradiction is gone. There is perfect unity and there is perfect peace. Just like in Christ, there is perfect holiness and there is perfect righteousness in Him. It doesn't matter what you see out here. Conflict can rage out here, but I'm telling you what, in the one man, Jesus Christ, there is no conflict. There is no longer division. There is no contradiction. There is nothing that divides, that delineates. Nothing. Nothing. In the righteousness of God through faith in Christ, we are brought into that position of what? Of being in Christ. Let me read that again. Look at this, church. In the righteousness of God. Through faith in Christ, through faith in Christ, we are brought into that position. What position? Of being in Christ. And when I'm in Christ, there are no conflicts. There are no divisions. There are no schisms. There's nothing. It is perfect unity, oneness, harmony, peace in Christ. And we're brought into that unity. We're brought into the one 
new man. So here's the deal. Frustration. Frustration in the Christian life is very largely due. I would say just about 98, 99.9% of our frustration is largely due to a failure to apprehend or to take hold, to grasp what? The real meaning of being in Christ. If we don't, if we don't grasp, if we don't get a revelation of being in Christ and what it means to be in Christ and who Christ is, if we don't get a revelation of that, man, what God has done for us can become a point of pride. It can become a point of division. I mean, look, how many movements have been birthed since the birth of the church, since that day in Jerusalem, that day of Pentecost, some 2,000 years ago? How many movements, how many schisms and divisions and things have man, has man birthed in the name of Christ. Do you think God wanted that? Absolutely not. There's only one. There's only one thing. He fills all and is in all. And his name is Christ. Well, we believe in the gifts over here. And we do. But you got some people that... I mean, there are seminaries in our own state that make you sign a piece of paper saying that you do not believe in the gifts of the Spirit. That you do believe they are dead and gone and done away with. What's happened? We've just taken something that God gave us and made it a point of division. Or, or over here on the charismatic side where we are, we like to look down our noses at all those people that don't believe in the fullness. Well, what have we done? We've just taken a point, something that God gave us as a gift to build up the body, and it has become a point of division. It was never meant to be that. So what's our focus? What should be our focus? It's Christ. Because I promise you in Christ, there is the fullness of everything. If you just stay focused on Christ, you'll experience more miracles, more supernatural power, more manifestations of... of, of but if we live our lives focused on the things that divide us, if we don't get... A revelation. Hey, if God wants to raise the dead through you, do you have a problem with that? I can't imagine someone saying, now God, I'll go out and preach the gospel, but you can't heal anybody through me because I don't believe in healing. You know what? I think if we go out and we are centered on and focused on Christ, if God wants to use me to raise the dead, you're going to say, no, God, I don't believe in that. How can you say that? He's God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He healed the sick, he healed the sick and raised the dead 2,000 years ago. He'll do it right now in 2008. But if, if, if healing the sick and raising the dead becomes an end to itself and that becomes my focus, you know what I've just done? I've just divided the body. So why did the writers of the New Testament stay focused on one thing and one thing alone? Because they knew that that was the point of commonality. That's something we all have in common. And we've gotten off into all these things because we've gotten our eyes off Christ. In an effort to correct it, we've swung way over to one side. We look down our nose at these people over there. And they look at us and they think we're crazy. And the reality is Christ is all and in all. And it is Christ that... 
must fill everything. It's not my doctrine. It's not my belief. It's not what my seminary or my cemetery or my pastor or my church or my movement says. What does this living word say? Who is the living word? He is Christ. And he desires to fill all in all. And so we're frustrated as believers. The church is frustrated, I can promise you. I study the church all the time and the church is frustrated. The church is trying to figure out what she needs to do. Because she's so frustrated. Because everything she's trying isn't working. Well, you know what? Let's just get back to the simplicity of Christ. Because that'll work. It's what brought us to the place we are today. And that's really all we need. And this is, this is the judgment. This is the correction that God is bringing to his body right now. He he doesn't want to punish us. He wants to bring us into fullness. He wants to give us a revelation of his son. He wants us to get our eyes open and understand who we are in Christ. That we really are royalty. That we really are beautiful children. Not so we can be proud, but so we can live in the reality and the truth of that in humility and let the power of God work through us. Let the expression of Christ be made known through us. We got to grasp it, church. We got to lay hold of this truth. The real meaning of being in Christ. In Christ, where so far as God is concerned, there is no controversy. Do you know God doesn't, doesn't argue about gifts? Gifts, no gifts. You know, God doesn't argue. There's no controversy about doctrine in God. <laughs> there isn't. In Christ, there's no controversy. There's no conflict. It's all been reconciled. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Man, I love this scripture. It says, therefore, if anyone, if anyone, who's that? Anyone. Do they have to be a certain race? Do they have to have a certain amount of money? Do they have to be a certain height, weight? Do they have to be a certain gender? If anyone is in Christ. He is a what? A new creation. He now becomes of the same nature as the man, Christ Jesus. He is now a part of. He now has the nature of the one new man. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, how many things have become new? All things. Is there anything of the old that's brought into the new creation? No, it says the old passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I didn't write that. The Holy Spirit wrote that. Do you want to argue with that? I don't want to argue with that. Now, I'll tell you, I've done it. I've sat there and tried to reason it out and argue with, in my mind, try to figure out, well, well, what exactly does that mean? God says it means exactly what it says. You know, the Lord, he sometimes he just, he just asks me this question. Why do you want to complicate things? Can you just believe my word? Yeah, yeah, God, I believe your word, but can you explain to me what that means? He said it means exactly what it says. Okay, the old things have passed away. All things have become new. Yeah, but God, now he says, that, that, there you go again. Quit with the buts. Believe my word. Don't believe your eyes. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. But, but God, I see a lot of old things. 
by faith, not by sight. This is truth, church. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, not then, not one day when we get to heaven, but it says now all things are of God. Where is that true? Well, we'll get there in a little bit. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. Remember, there's no conflict, no controversy in God. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us Now he has reconciled us to to himself, and now he has given to us the word of reconciliation. Man, we need to start speaking that word. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That is the gospel, church. That though we deserve to die, we don't have to if we will put our faith in what Jesus Christ has done. And we will die to this old man and and be born again into the new man. That's the gospel right there. It says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. How do we get reconciled? We do it by faith in Christ. Are all men reconciled? Listen, he reconciled the world to himself, but but we don't come into life until what? We come into Christ. And so we implore you, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Where? In him. So where do we become new creations? In Christ. Where do all things become new? In Christ. I know they're not all new in the world. We see them every day. They still look old, don't they? They still look corrupt. They still look sinful. But where do all things become new? In Christ. How do I come into Christ? By faith. Not by sight, but by faith. How do I see myself the way God sees me? Not by sight, but by faith, right? We are all, where are all things now of God? In Christ. Where did God reconcile the world? In Christ. Where are we reconciled to God? In Christ, I implore you, be reconciled to God. I implore you, come into Christ. Put your faith in Christ, because in Christ you will be reconciled to God. Where am I the righteousness of God? In Christ. Do I move in and out of Christ, or am I in Christ, or not in Christ? I'm either in him or I'm not, right? So if I'm in Christ, if I'm born again, I'm in Christ, and I've been reconciled to God, I am now the righteousness of God. What if I don't feel righteous? Do I live by my feelings? What if I look in the mirror and I say, man, you don't look very righteous. Do I live by sight? Or do I live by faith in the Son of God? What what does faith say? Faith says, in Christ you've been reconciled to God. Faith says, in Christ you are the righteousness of God. God, there's no controversy with God there. God's not arguing whether you are or whether you're not. If you're in Christ, there's no conflict, no controversy. We have perfect peace. That's why Paul prays, be anxious for nothing. The peace that passes understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind. Where? In Christ. And he wasn't just talking about 
all these things we worry about out here. He was talking about a peace and an understanding that far surpasses whether my bills are paid or whether my body's in pain or not in pain. He's talking about my position with God the Father. He says, listen, don't worry. Take it all to God. Be anxious for nothing. You have a peace that passes understanding. I don't understand why God would love me the way he does. I don't understand that. But you know what? The truth, the reality of it, passes my understanding. I don't know how God could have done what he did when we are so deserving of death. It passes knowledge. But it's true. And in God... There's no more conflict. There's no controversy here. It's a done deal. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. Right there. It's done. The controversy's over. The conflict is gone. Peace and reconciliation has come in Christ. You want it? Get in Christ and you'll have it. In Christ, a new man has been introduced into this creation The destiny of which, the destiny of this new man is final conformity to his image. Read Romans 8, 29 when you get home. You'll see and understand what I'm talking about. The conformity to this image, being renewed, made anew, after what? After the image of Christ. We are being, present tense, continuous, we are being conformed to Christ. That's what the scripture says in Colossians. That's what it says in Romans. That's what it says all in the New Testament. That's what the prophets prophesied about. So what is the image of this conformity? Well, it is the image of the one new man. Well, let's let's talk about this image. It is one. It's a single unified man. It's a it, it is a unity. What do I mean by that? It's a corporate man. I'm a man. We have men and we have women here. We all have bodies. We all have personalities. We're called members. There's a corporate man, but that corporate man makes up how many men? One. And is he an old man or a new man? The corporate man makes up the one new man. It is a unity. I got got two hands, ten fingers, ten toes, two ears, two eyes. I got one nose, thank God. Lots of members of my body, but all of these different members make up how many bodies? One. My hand is not known in its own identity, is it? My hand is only known because what? Because it's a part of this one body. You're not known for who you are. You are known because you are a member of how many bodies? How many men? One man. Is he new? Is he old? Oh, he's new. There's never been anything like him before. He is a new creation. He's the firstborn, the only born. He's the beginning. He, 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 he's, there's nothing ever like him. But now, we've been brought into him, and now, guess what? We become like him. We have his nature. We have his DNA. We're not ourselves anymore. The old has passed away. How much has become new? All things have become new. One body, many members, but one body of one man. You can read 1 Corinthians 12, 20. You can read Ephesians 2, 13, and 16. One kind, 
not many kinds in one. Listen, Christ isn't Jew and Gentile, black and white, red and brown, yellow. We don't have a bunch of different kinds poured into one. All the differences, short, tall, any, any, anything you want to use to divide people, it's all passed away. God doesn't see it. It doesn't exist anymore. There are not many kinds. There's only one kind. It's all been brought into Christ, and now it is one. One kind. One nature. Christ. Christ is it. One mind. Not my will. Not my way. Not my thoughts. But yours, O oh Lord. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself, who said, it doesn't have to be my way. Don't have to have it my way. This isn't Burger King. This is the kingdom of God. This is the king of kings. Not the Burger King, but the king of kings. At Burger King, you can have it your way. But in, with the king of kings, guess what? One mind. One man. His name is Christ. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Are y'all hanging with me? This is so important. I haven't even got to the, the really important part of my message yet. Let me just, let's just read this. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness. With long suffering. Bearing with one another in love. Remember why is Paul saying this? Because in Christ, the conflict's gone. The schisms are gone. There should be no conflict division. There shouldn't be any of those things. Love should rule. Unity should rule. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he says this, so important, church. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope. Of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There is that word again, A-L-L, all. He's everywhere. Do you get the idea that God wants to fill all with this one? And all of these one things speak of the one thing, the one new man. So this unity in Christ, his oneness with the Father and with those who are in Christ is the point of attack by Satan. To do what? To diminish the image. God wants the image to fill all in all. And so how does Satan come against the image? The image, is, it is a oneness, it's a unity. There is no division in Christ. So how does Satan come to diminish the image? He sows division. He brings division. He brings schisms and disruption and conflict and contradiction and controversy. Why does he do that? Because his chief purpose has always been and will always be to diminish the image of the glory of God. Schisms, divisions, conflict, confusion, frustrations are meant by Satan to destroy the image of Christ. See, it's just our pride that thinks it's about us. It's not about us. The devil's not looking at you and saying, oh, he's becoming a real threat to my kingdom of darkness. I think I'll go attack him. Uh-uh. 
Listen, he doesn't care about you and me. He only cares about Christ. Because Christ is who we represent. Christ is who we have been brought into. He's not interested in us. His whole point of attacking you is to attack Christ. He attacks Christ through you. His only beef with you is because you are created in the image of God. In the beginning, but even more so now in the new creation. You are the body of the one new man in the earth. You are filling the earth. Ephesians 3.10 says it's been given to the church to make known to powers and principality what? The manifold wisdom of God. I mean, he has to see the body of Christ in the church every day and it drives him crazy. He's not worried about us individually. He just wants to destroy the image of the one new man, Jesus Christ, because he wanted that image to be his. He wanted that glory to be his. And so Satan comes... And he comes against us because we're here to bear the image of Christ in all creation. This is why he fights so hard to divide people at every level. From personal relationships to nations. Do you see the division that's taking place in our nation? You wonder why every election cycle seems to become more divisive? Do you wonder why every day it seems like our nation is more divided? It's not an accident. Because division at whatever level... Sacred or secular, it doesn't matter. Do you know the devil doesn't say, oh, I'm not going to bother them because they're secular. I'll just bother them because they're sacred. Uh Uh-uh. Because everything, this is God's creation. And everything of this creation speaks something. And if he can bring division at whatever level he can, it diminishes the image of the one new man. The temptation is to draw our attention to ourselves off of Christ If I'm in Christ, but my attention or my focus is somewhere else of why that person shouldn't have that or why they shouldn't have that right or why they shouldn't be included in that or why God wouldn't love them. But when we start thinking like that, that's right, that's wrong. When we start thinking like that, we've fallen right into the enemy's hands. And when when we become divided like that, Christ, the body is divided, the image is diminished. In drawing our attention to anything outside of Christ, Satan has drawn our focus away from Christ. And if our focus is not on Christ, then guess what? What's focus? If I'm focused on, look, I'm focused on that clock. Am I looking at it? So if I say I'm focused on the clock, what am I looking at? The clock. If I say I'm focused on the clock right now, what would you say? No. Pastor Jeff, you're not focused on the clock. You're focused on the snowflake there. The snowflake's not the clock. So whatever I'm focused on is what I am looking at, right? So why is this so important? To behold him, to behold him is very important. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 3. This is important. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, we all with unveiled face, who took away the veil, Christ did. Beholding as in a mirror, we're looking in a mirror now, and what are we seeing? The glory of the Lord. Why? Because Christ in you is the hope of glory. Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives where? In me. So when I look, if I'm in Christ and I'm looking in the mirror, whose image should I be seeing? The glory of the Lord. I should be seeing the face of Jesus. 
So as long as I'm looking in the mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ, what's happening to me? We are what? Being transformed. So into the same image that I'm beholding. So if I'm not looking at the image, am I being transformed into that image? Uh Uh-uh. Why does the devil fight so hard to get your focus off Jesus? To get your eyes looking anywhere at anything except Jesus. Because he understands that as long as you are focused on the image of Christ, you are being transformed into that very same image. And as you are being transformed, what's happening? Christ is all and he is filling all. And as the enemy sees Christ who is all, filling all, he doesn't like that. So how does he stop that from happening? How does he diminish the image? He divides us. He gets our attention off Christ, onto myself, onto some point of contention that now becomes a conflict and a division within the body. And now the body's not looking at Jesus anymore. The body is focused on some some stupid thing that's dividing them because we become self-centered or focused on other things. And what happens? The enemy wins. The diminish, the image is diminished. This is why the enemy fights so hard to divide at every level. Why marriages? Why do you think marriages are under such attack? What does Paul say in Ephesians? The marriage relationship is a picture in the natural of what? Christ and his church. So if the enemy can divide marriages, what has he done? He has destroyed the image of Christ in relationship with his church. See, if we become wise to these things, we begin to understand, hey, that thing that I want to get upset about, that thing that I want to divide over, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. I'm playing right into the hands of the enemy because all he's trying to do is diminish the image. So as I behold him, what's happening? I'm being transformed. So as my focus, as my eyes are on him, I'm being changed into that very image. How? By the Spirit of the Lord. So look at this church. Therefore, fellowship. This word fellowship is the the Greek word koinonia. It means sharing in common. What do we have in common? All things have been excluded, Paul says. And this is the one thing that has been included. It is Christ, Christ is all and in all. What is the one thing we share in common? It's Christ. Now, we can talk about the fullness that's in Christ. That's a whole different subject because you'll never plumb the depths of that. But, but if we keep our focus on Christ, he is the one thing. So, therefore, fellowship becomes the battleground between heaven and hell. And guess where the battle is centered? It's battle. It's centered in the church. Why? Be- what is the church? It is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's what Ephesians 1.23 says. So you begin to understand why the enemy centers his fight, his battle to divide fellowship. Where? In the church. Because we were put here to express the fullness of Christ, to fill all with that very image. So Satan's always trying to cause a break in fellowship. 
He broke his own fellowship through pride in the beginning. He tempted man in the beginning to break man's fellowship with God. He's still tempting man in an effort to bring a break in what? In fellowship. To get our eyes off of the one thing we have in common, Christ, and get it on to all the other things that have been excluded, Paul says. Man's own fallen nature, our unrenewed minds. This is why it's so important for us to get our minds renewed. Because as our minds are renewed according to the image of Christ, being renewed in knowledge according to the image of Him that created Him, as our minds are being renewed, we get the revelation of the truth, and these things, they cannot draw our attention away. They cannot distract us anymore because we understand that all of that has passed, and now there is only one thing. It is Christ. He is all. And if he's all, what else is there? There's not anything else. So in Christ, all division is destroyed, and the one new man reigns. Christ is all and in all. And if he's all, why are we looking at anything else? Why are we dividing on other things? So here's our challenge, church, and here is where the battleground is. It's to close our eyes to the things just stop right there. We See, when I say that, you, we automatically want to define things. Just stop. Close your eyes to the things. It doesn't matter what things they are. It doesn't matter what name you put on them. Close your eyes to the things because there's only what? There's only one thing. Everything else are things. Close your eyes to the things. Exclude all things and only focus upon any measure of Christ that there may be. And make everything of that. Make Christ the only inclusive thing. And when that happens, then there will be an expression of Christ in the earth to be seen and to be known. Jesus said, by the love that you have for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. But now the world looks at the church and they say, man, the church is divided. We don't want to have any part of that. Why? Because the enemy understands. In the conflict, in the schisms, in the divisions, I'll make this movement. Oh, well, I'll just stop. I'll just go start my own movement over here because you guys, see? In all of that division, what's happened? The image has been diminished. But God says, now is the time to come back to the one thing, the one new man. Exclude everything else and include only one. Christ is all and in all. Amen. Hallelujah. Church, I encourage you.